Hello, and welcome back to the ongoing, unhelpful narrative that is the Romaniacs podcast. You know how we said we wouldn't be back until this Friday? Well, funny story. The minute we finished last week's show, things began to develop in the future fantasy world of the National Unity Government, with Joe Swinson ruling out Jeremy Corbyn as a caretaker Prime Minister and much squabbling over who would give ground over what. Our constitutional crisis led from bad to worse with yet more talk and yet less clarity about what MPs could do to take control of the parliamentary process and avert no deal on the 31st of October. And the Operation Yellowhammer leak over the weekend put the government in the interesting position of dismissing its own projections of the consequences of no deal as Project Fear. So we thought we should get back together for an emergency podcast. I'm Andrew Harrison and with me I've got regulars Naomi Smith and Alex Andreo. Hello Naomi. Hello. How are you doing? Hello Alex, how are you? I'm alright. Jolly good. Uh, And we have a special guest back by popular demand and by automatic operation of law, it's <laughs> constitutional expert and the power of grey school, FT law, <laughs> FT law and policy writer and starry-eyed Aston Villa fan, David Allen Green. Hello, David. Welcome back to Romaniacs. Hello there. How are you doing? I'm fine. Jolly Thanks for good. having me back. It's always a pleasure. The other day you tweeted something to the effect that this has been the most exciting time to be a constitutional lawyer since the <laughs> 1680s. Obviously, as long as you're having a good time, it's all worth it, really. But what was... Well, we know why it's awful now. Why was it awful in the 1680s or whatever you referred to? <laughs> well, it was a little local difficulty uh, mm. involving getting rid of one king and parliament asserting itself. Uh, you're still, there's still somewhere to go before we get to the 1530s and the 1640s. That's really what we should be aiming for with this constitutional matter. OK, so apart from um, beheading monarchs, what's the next, what's the next level in this particular um, video game? OK, uh, the... Achievement uh, achieved for the next round would be for one of the elements of the state to fundamentally change its role, like Parliament did in the 1530s, Mm. or for one of the elements of the state to defeat the other, as Parliament did with the monarchy in the 1640s. But that's what's still ahead of us. Yeah. Uh, Would you be putting your money on any of those elements right now? Uh, Well, where I differ from your intros, I actually don't think we are yet in a constitutional crisis. I think we're in a constitutional drama. And I think we have a political crisis. Mm. But so far, the elements of, of the state have worked. It, they've been pushed, but uh, the walls of the court have been uh, followed by ministers. Legislation has been followed. Nothing has been attempted without parliamentary sanction. It should do. So everything is more or less still within the confines of a constitution. But we could have a crisis ahead by, by October. And not least because Dominic Cummings has pretty much said that there isn't a convention that he's not willing to break. Yes. Um, and I think that perhaps we're not in a constitutional crisis yet because since he was appointed, we've not the Parliament hasn't actually been sitting. So what we're actually witnessing is the inflation of the airbag, but we haven't actually crash experienced yet. the crash yet. <laughs> so the airbag That's is... That's a very good, good description. Now, David, before we, before we start, and we're going to we'll talk about the unity government latest in it, uh, first, but before we start, you, before we began recording, you said it might be useful to talk about what is a constitution, because we all, we all mention it all the time, and we have, everybody has a, a rough and unwritten idea of what a rough and unwritten constitution is. What do you think is important at the moment that we're not focusing on? Well, firstly... We do have a constitution. Some people listening to this will go, ho, 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 we haven't got a constitution because we haven't got what's called a written constitution. We do have a written constitution. It's just written down in lots of different places. As I've said many times. <laughs> and I've I'm been glad listening. Influ- I'm glad the influence of my stuff is reading. <laughs> we haven't got a codified constitution, but even if we do have a codified constitution, that really does not help by itself because some places with codified constitutions have problems too. What a constitution should do, really, is two things. First of all, provide for which element of the state does what. That's the straightforward stuff. 
legislature does this thing, executive does another. But it also should provide for how any tensions between those elements are regulated. So what happens if Parliament takes a different view to the executive? What happens if the judiciary takes a different view to the uh, legislature? And so on. And there are other elements of the state, like the devolved uh, administrations, the police, and so on. A good constitution identifies where those pressure points are, where those tensions are, and somehow provides for them not to become contradictions. Mm. And our unwritten constitution, as it's called, our uncodified constitution, so far, strangely, has been quite good at dealing with various tensions over Brexit. Like, So, for example, we've had all these archaic things in Parliament, like humble addresses and contempt motions and whatever, which have allowed Parliament to keep on having forcing the government to account uh, to give account to it. But a lot of that isn't legalistic. A lot of that is done by convention. Mm. A convention generally is something you can't enforce legally, but it's something which is regarded as being at least normatively binding. If the government is going to tr- deliberately flout convention, what it is doing is that it's flouting the non-legal ways of resolving these tensions between different parts of the state. Mm. And that can be at best counterproductive and B, can actually lead to a crisis. And we're right back to Dominic Cummings again. Um, <laughs> well, we'll return to this later in the show as we as we wander through unity government-related stuff. Naomi, give us a quick summary of where we are with governments of national unity at the moment, because basically since Friday it's all gone up in the air. <laughs> it has. Um, so Ken Clark has said that he's willing to lead a government of national unity to stop a no-deal Brexit. So, you know, is he is he an octogenarian already? But, you know, showing showing no signs of, yeah. uh, of, of giving up yet. Um, he also said that Corbyn was wrong to claim that as opposition leader he should be caretaker, prime minister... Um, he said he will have to let someone else lead because it's the only way for a multi-party group to come together. Um, we've also had Dominic Grieve and Oliver Letwin both rule out helping Corbyn to become caretaker PM, but both have, of course, supported cross-party talks to prevent us crashing out without a deal. Um, as you mentioned at the top of the show, Joe Swinson in- initially rebuffed uh, Corbyn before then agreeing to meet him and I think wrote a very good letter um, afterwards uh, reaching out. Um, and he himself, Corbyn, said today in Corby... Corbyn and Corby um, (laughs) that MPs opposed to a no deal should back him as Prime Minister of an interim government and that he wants a general election before a referendum and Caroline Lucas has come out saying the opposite that we really need a referendum before a general election and question whether Corbyn would commit to supporting a caretaker government led by somebody else Um, so in terms of where we are at, I'm sure David will give us the kind of constitutional mechanism for all of this. Um, I think the probability of a general election being the most likely outcome remains high. Um, I strongly suspect that Boris Johnson will try to get two-thirds majority support in the Commons for a general election early. He'll want to head off any motions of no confidence against him that may have any chance of succeeding. And of course, he doesn't want to do anything that leads to a GNU, as we call it, a government national unity <laughs> led by Corbyn. Um, and, and then we're into a bit of a funny time because it, that will then depend oh, on... Oh, then we're in a then, then. Yeah. This is nothing. This is nothing. Um, <laughs> Up until then, everything was fine. fine yes. <laughs> so it's then what do our MPs, our Romanian MPs do in that situation? Will they seek to try and amend that? Now, 
it's it's up for debate as to whether the Fixed Term Parliament Act allows for that kind of motion to be amended. Um, if it is deemed to be amendable by the Speaker, it still has to be within the scope of the Fixed Term Parliament Act. So originally there was some hope that maybe it could be amended in order to say, well, we'll give you your election, Prime Minister, so long as you go back to the EU and negotiate a longer extension. Um, I think that would probably be deemed to be out of scope. It's such a bad sign that we're even interested in amendable motions. Uh, quite, quite. Mm. It's, it's, constitutional it's law should of... be really boring and it should have, <laughs> be of no interest to anybody apart from the geekiest of geeks. Whereas it's in everybody's interest at the moment. Um, and then there's talk about, um, I think, some others, uh, I don't want to name any names, but, but other um, perhaps anti-no-dealers but pro-dealer MPs thinking about whether or not to try and amend it for... Um, uh, a referendum um, and to say that a referendum would have to be held before a general election. Again, I'm not sure whether or not that would be in scope. However, whatever happens, whether they amend it or not, if we imagine that it does go through, um, you've then got a small wash up period when potentially you could try and seek to change government policy on Brexit um, during that wash up. So, for instance, some kind of season control of the order paper and trying to get him to go and negotiate an extended Article 50 period. But then you're in perda and you can't do anything yeah. pending an election. Alex, you were on, on the last regular podcast. You said that the basic issue here is an issue of trust, particularly in Corbyn as a potential interim leader. Um, do you think that Joe Swinson was right to initially at least rebuff him? Because we've well, talked a lot on this show. My, about... I, I hasten to add, not my issue of trust. I'm just yeah. saying the way things have shaped up. I can see why people have an issue of trust. Um, look, both their positions are right. Both Corbyn's position and Swinson's position are absolutely right as opening gambits in the negotiation. It's ridiculous to say that the other should just automatically concede to, uh, to you know, the, the demands of the other side. Both of their positions are absolutely correct as opening gambits, and both of them would be completely unreasonable as final offers. That's the, that's mm. the truth of it. They're good starting points, but if moving forward we see them not shift from there, that will be a problem. Do you think that, I mean, for a lot of people, particularly sort of centrary Remainers, I've, I've had at the, at the, the kind of on the horizon this idea that one day they'll be faced with a choice. What do you want less? No deal Brexit or Jeremy Corbyn as Prime Minister? Look, that's a ridiculous choice. And, and, and it's, um, it's part of the reason why we're in such a mess. Everyone's trying to project three steps forward. There's no reason to project three steps forward. The first step is the vote of no confidence. Siding with Corbyn, who is the only one that can call a, a vote of no mm -hmm. confidence in the government, siding with him in that vote doesn't mean you sign your life away to support Corbyn as his genie for the next thousand years and grant him every wish. It means nothing of the sort. The, the parliamentary arithmetic will be even less on his side than it is on Boris Johnson's side. If he tries to do anything Parliament doesn't like, they can stop him. They've been doing that for the last three years to a government that has a nominal majority. So I don't know why everyone is panicking that somehow Corbyn, it, it seems to me like a version of the sort of reds under the bed panic in, in the state in the 60s, that them commies, they're clever, you know, once they're in government, they'll find a way. He's not helping to 
uh, distill the fears, though, because today in Corbyn he refused to commit to backing Remain in a second referendum um, held by Labour after a general election, which of course helped sort of that speculation that the party might fight it officially neutrally. Um, so I agree with you, Alex, but I think he's also not doing an enormous amount to quell um, a lot of those. Fears, I, I love, frankly. I love, like that Alex is dismissing something as being completely un unlikely in the current atmosphere because <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it's perfectly uh, foreseeable that you could ha have a Corbyn government at least for a sh very short period. I wouldn't rule it out and ultimately if your aim is to avoid a no-deal Brexit and that is the only available means then that has to be considered. Otherwise we get this old meatloafy stuff we've been going on, going oh, on about I on agree. Twitter. I, I don't disagree. I'm just saying that this idea that he could then expand that into a socialist economic programme while he was mm. doing all that without the approval of, of Parliament it's impossible. For, for listeners who, are, who aren't on Twitter all the time the meatloafy stuff is I'll do anything for Remain but I won't do that <laughs> isn't it? Who coined that? Or it, anything to avoid a no-deal Brexit. Yes, yes. Um, but the the question of uh, you know how long the the GNU would be in the Flanders and Swan style would be in position. Surely, if if that must the, be the only time meatloaf and Flanders and Swan have been mentioned in the same <laughs> sentence, you, you, you haven't you haven't seen my Spotify playlist. So, um, but Flanders and Swan, Stephanie Flanders is related to Flanders. That's Flanders and Swan, isn't she? Yeah. Is that yeah, true? That's a, yeah, absolutely oh true. God. Facts there. Um, but surely the, the GNU would have to be in, in power, in office, for longer than the six-week period required to uh, you know, extend um, Article 50, for instance, or to hold a general election, for instance. If, if, uh, if the GNU came in under um, the proviso of running a referendum of whatever stripe, then it's in power for six months at least, surely. So we have to accept that a government of national unity is not is not just for Christmas, it's for a fairly long period ahead. Well, let's just I, take a couple of steps back. This Fixed-Term Parliament Act, a wretched mm. piece of legislation, not yeah. least because nobody can remember where the hyphen goes and which word has a lower case. One of Cameron's many. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was an attempt to codify one of the tensions you have in a constitution. This is why I dislike it so much, because if you're going to try and codify one part of it, you're just creating other parts, uh, other problems elsewhere. It was to regulate when a Prime Minister could call a, pro uh, call a general election. And as part of that was what would happen if there was a vote of no confidence. Because, for example, back on 28th of March 1979, there was a vote of no confidence, which Callaghan lost by one, and then there was a general election. That is what normally would have been the place. This legislation supersedes that what was effectively a convention. But we've now got this strange system where there's going to be one vote of no confidence, and then is it, is it a 14-day period? Yes, until, 14 days, yeah. And it doesn't provide specifically what should happen within that 14 days. <laughs> so it is arguable, if, if you're Dominic Cummings, to, to say, well, yes, we lose that, but what the legislation is providing for is if we lose it again in 14 days, if we've not been able to do enough backroom deals to get that majority in 14 days, OK, we've got to have a general election. Mm. There's nothing explicit in that legislation saying that if you lose the first vote of no confidence you've got to give anybody else a chance at forming a government. And the date of the election is still at the discretion of the outgoing Prime Minister. And and the problem is that everybody is assuming that the government will act in accordance with the convention from say 1979 that a vote of no confidence means that you, you resign. Mm. But the actual legislation is there to supersede that convention and to actually have some sort of statutory regulation of what happens with a no-confidence vote. So 
the assumption that if Boris Johnson loses the no confidence vote, there would be another government is an assumption which may not be a safe one to make. May well sit it through. So he got sits through the fourteen day period, then says, "Okay, there's no result. We're going to be a general, going to have a general election anyway." There is another wrinkle to this, which I'm sure you're aware of, that the cabinet secretary is understood to have been advised that any election would have to take place during the status quo, i.e., no major changes. We'd have to still be in the EU. Ah, uh, but what is the status quo? The status quo is that there's an Article 50 notification which has been made. Which, he's going to say it. By automatic gonna... operation of law. Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, means we're out. That hmm. is the status quo. Right. To to change that, to prolong that, Can I ask is actually to change the status quo. Can I ask something? So we have, at the moment, this debate about the two arms um, of the state battling it out, the legislature and the executive. And it seems to me that no one is talking about the judiciary. And it seems to me that this is heading quite obviously and foreseeably to being resolved in the courts, like uh, happened with the Virginia Miller case. The last time there was a serious dispute as to who's stepping on whose toes on this. Is there, I mean, well, is there not there, going there, to be a case? There's, there's, there's a case uh, in Scotland in respect of proroguing yeah. uh, Parliament. Miller was a sensible constitutional case. It went on the basis that it didn't try and say Brexit shouldn't happen. It just said who should actually say... Uh, an article for 50 notification could be made and the, the Supreme Court ruled by a majority that there had to be some sort of statutory basis. Yeah. Whiteman was another sensible constitutional case because that provided uh, whether the Article 50 could be revoked unilaterally or not. It didn't say whether it should be. It said it could yeah, yeah. be. Good constitutional cases are ones which set out the parameters for who makes which decision. What worries me about a lot of the litigation brought, especially some of the crowdfunded litigation, is that it isn't an attempt to set out who does what. It is an attempt to uh, defeat Brexit through the courts yeah. and find some way, somehow, which people are entitled to bring a case to try and do. But I am ultimately uncomfortable with any idea that Brexit should be stopped by a judicial decision. It is essentially a political problem and it has to be solved. Uh, absolutely, I agree. Politically. But, but for instance, the point that you were making just before, mm. what is the status quo in this case? So you look at the rules and you say, is the status quo that Membership we're still a member, mm. member of the EU? Or is the status quo this running down clock that was started by a piece of primary legislation? Yeah. That could be decided by, by a court. That seems to me to be within the purview of what... But he- Taking that seriously, you'd be inviting the court to probably make a declaration that the convention that a certain convention had this effect, and to ask the court to give that declaration, which allows that to be the legal position. I suspect a court would not want to be in such a highly make such a highly politicised decision as to what is a convention. Let's look. Let's look at the politics of it and the and the, and the reality of it. Does uh, the idea of a national government averting no deal? and then promising an election maybe in November or or later than that, actually just produced the Conservatives standing on a no-deal platform for the first time and possibly winning an actual mandate for no-deal for the first time ever. They never had a mandate explicitly for no-deal. We could end up with them having just that, couldn't we? We will certainly, I think, see them fighting a general election on a crash-out Brexit. Yeah. Um, Certainly. Uh, They don't have anywhere else to move on that. If they don't, the Brexit party stand against them in... 
hundreds of seats across the country and deny them the ability to form a majority. I don't think that the Brexit party will be... Let's let's call it Nigel Farage. He is the sole uh, director of that limited company. He will not risk doing that. He will certainly, if they are committed on a on a manifesto pledge of hard Brexit, stand down against PPCs and MPs who are sufficiently crash out Brexit promoters. So I cannot see the Brexit Party standing against people like Jacob Rees-Mogg. I think they will stand against people like Philip Lee and Dominic Grieve. Mm. Um, so the the only way our data shows that the Conservatives get a majority government, and it is a 100-seat-plus majority government, I hasten to add, is if that kind of uh, Farage backing down situation happens, which I think Farage would do in order to get the Brexit that he wants, because that is all he ultimately really, really wants. If they do that and the Remain alliance does not get its act together and fight fire with fire and stand down for one another in key seats then yes, I fear that the Conservatives will be returned with a very large majority and with what they see as a mandate for no deal, which is why it is so imperative that we do the work that we at Best of Britain are doing, that Unite to Remain with Heidi Allen are doing, with all of the all of the parties, and you know there are good Conservatives working with us on it as well, and, and many more Labour people than you might imagine uh, to do this. And this may involve everything from full-on electoral packs to non-aggression packs to joint policy pledges between candidates in certain seats but there will be about 100 seats where it's absolutely vital for us to do that in order to stop that huge no no deal majority for the Conservatives. As you said earlier Karen, Karen Lucas is saying that a general election followed by a people's vote is the wrong way around. Yes. Am I right in thinking it takes about six months to organise a referendum? That's good any. Um, well it, it requires primary legislation yeah. um, so uh, there's precedent that you can look to. Um, The Electoral Commission um, tend to take their time with crafting the question. Uh, They like to employ several different um, qualitative research companies to do focus groups to test different versions of the question. That period of time usually takes... They did all that before drafting the last one. Right, so I think they'll... (laughs) Exactly. There's a whole webpage devoted to their testing of various questions. And so this time around, they could potentially shorten that by um, hiring every... Qualitative research company in the country to do it in the space of one week rather than have one company do it over the period of six weeks. So there are ways it could be shortened. So it doesn't necessarily have to take six months. But I think everybody involved, particularly the campaigns, will say this needs to be done very differently to last time and you need a longer run in because you need to have the education campaign similar to that that Ireland had with abortion um, and with same sex marriage. You need to have town hall meetings. You need to make sure that people have a much more uh, informed view as as the doctors like Sarah Williston and Philip Lee um, in Parliament will often say, a a medic would never not get informed consent from a patient before uh, severing a limb. And that's exactly what we would be doing second time around. So I I think we would all want it to take quite a long time. But to answer your question, it doesn't necessarily have to take that long, no. David? Uh, The last piece of primary legislation took between nine months and a year, depending on how much of the secondary legislation you take account of. That was for very simple bilateral yes no vote obviously this time round there are going to be greater questions over what the question should be or questions should be part of the problem with the last lot of legislation was that some of the uh, secondary legislation on voter registration and also regulating the funding of the campaigns wasn't 
as good as it should have been. Mm. And we've had we had all sorts of problems during the campaign. We almost had to have emergency legislation during the campaign at one point. And ever since, we've had lots and lots of rows about whether certain spending by certain campaigns was legal or illegal yeah. or not. Any notion that we should rush through primary and secondary legislation when the situation is far more contentious and the question questions to be asked are less clear just seems to me to be daft. And it really, if we are to have another referendum, and I'm opposed to a further referendum, as you know, but if we are to have another referendum, we need to spend a lot more time and care in crafting it, not only on the high level, but on the things like who's voting, who can spend what in the campaign mm -hmm. at what, what point. So realistically, you're unlikely to see the GNU, even if you are to see it at all, uh, take office in November for a brisk and bright and breezy referendum in February. It's likely to be, what, June, July, a year? Well, that, well that's assuming that there, it will be resolved with a referendum before an election rather than an election before a referendum. You could see a government of national unity take over and literally just ask for a short extension and call an election, and that's that. And mm. an election may not resolve anything. Well, this is an election may not resolve anything, as, uh, but it might. As Jeremy Corby was saying in Corbyn just today, <laughs> as you mentioned, um, he said we, we need to have a general election to, to, to solve the Brexit uh, chaos, which seems to be a non sequitur. Yeah. The general election is not going to solve it. It's, it's, it's going to make it worse. When you're holding a hammer, you know, Everything the old like, saying. Yes. Um, and Macdonald claimed a future Labour government could hold a second referendum before negotiating a new Brexit deal with Europe. What about this stuff that came out this week about <laughs> retrospective legislation to go to re-enter the European Union? Uh, that oh. seemed like real time travel stuff, that did. In breaking news, I can tell you the FT carries a letter from Vernon Bognor telling me I'm wrong. Oh, I, is there is there constitution beef going down between oh, you and Vernon? Absolutely. <laughs> no, postcode yes. wars. So, uh, the, so just give, give the, for, again, for listeners who are not keeping up on the minutiae of this, what was raised and how did you smack it down, David? Well, I didn't smack it down. I, uh, other far, far, far more uh, important public lawyers than me snapped it down. But the, the notion was that you could have this magical legislation after October the 31st in Parliament, which retrospectively would yank us back into the European Union uh, by some sort of legal fiction i.e. we were deemed never to have left or something like that. And if that had the agreement from the European Union, then even though the date had gone past, we could pretend that we hadn't left. The problem with this, even on the assumption there was goodwill from the European Union, but just saying it, the date we leave is the date we leave. Uh, the, the, the European Union is a creature of what's called public international law, it is governed by two treaties. The treaty on this is, is explicit. It says the, the treaties will cease to apply when we leave. Right. That means we are outside. We are a third country. Article 50 then stops having any effect. If the European Union want to do a deal with us after that, they have to use other parts of the, the treaty to make an agreement with us, which actually involve a lot more cumbersome and slow processes and unanimity. Uh, and that happens one, one second after we leave. The legal position transforms completely. The genie is out the lamp, the horse is from the stable, the cat is out of the bag, and everything is out of their respective, respective containers. We are out. 
And we can't somehow then have this magic provision which says, oh, let's pretend we've never left. And it wouldn't be within the competence of the European Union to agree it because the European Union's own treaty says mm -hmm. the treaties have ceased to apply. Yeah. So, so there's no season finale undo button. No. Which I'm quite <laughs> used to from watching a lot of Doctor Who, but it tends to, it's not going to happen. There's no control Z. There's no control Z. Um, relatedly, we did see the exciting photograph of uh, Dexter Secretary Steve Baker making a big song and dance of signing the repeal of the European Communities Act 1972 in front of a big flag, just like a president. That seemed to be an odd and an unusual thing. It didn't mean anything at all. Was it just a photo? Well, the tweet said it was been set in stone, which is always a phrase which makes your soul drop when you read it. It's like enshrined in law. It's a sign something stupid is happening. Uh, all that's happening is some secondary legislation has been approved, which would, if we do leave, mean that the European Communities Act is repealed. But we've been here twice before. Mm. We've had two extensions already. If we do have a further extension, and it is an if, and Romaniacs listening to this need to realise it is an if, if there is another extension, then it won't be terribly difficult to float the exit day down to the new date legally. So nothing's been set in stone. It hasn't even been set in jelly. It really... <laughs> it, it's just politics and propaganda. And either he didn't realise what he was saying or he didn't understand it, or probably both. But so phrases like set in stone and enshrined in law always are a signal that something stupid is being said and done. So a photo opportunity, basically. Yeah, in front of an empty case and an empty file. The file had ring binders and it wasn't a hole punch. It was just ridiculous. <laughs> well, I, I don't think... It's more like it's still life than anything. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think any listeners were expecting far, you know, finite, concrete conclusions from this, this brief emergency podcast. It's just where, you know, where we're at and where, where, where we think we're going to. I love the detail that holes yeah. <laughs> but I think the only hole punches that are being sold these days are, are as props for politicians making them yeah. look like they're. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, in conclusion for this, this short emergency, emergency podcast, obviously this stuff is going to be changing day by day by day by day, and on Friday we'll be revisiting it again. But, David, if by, if by some quirk of fate, you know, Dominic Cummings is ring binder landed on your desk um, you know and, and you, and you that's are, not a euphemism yeah. I don't know what it is and you know and, and, and you were privy to the secret if, if, if you were kind of Cummings's counterpart on our side if you if you were given kind of constitutional mastery in order to help the Remain side A avert no deal and B get us a little bit further down the road to what we what we want which is some sort of look again at Brexit what would you be prioritising? Well, one thing on Dominic Cummings I'm quite proud of is that uh, I got a joke into my last FT piece about Dominic Cummings against Dominic Grieve and asking who would be the Dom Dom. I saw <laughs> that, actually. And all, all I can say is I'm really glad I got that pass for sub. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But, um, uh, what I would do is this. Uh, if if, if, if I, there was a sort of remain Dominic Cummings... What I would do after a vote of no confidence is force the issue by something like a humble address. So using some sort of supercharged parliamentary motion to force Parliament to decide whether it was going to carry on with no deal or not, or to pass legislation which made uh, revocation the default mm -hmm. or not. It would be difficult. It's going to be very hard to get legislation through the House. Perhaps you could do it by a combination of motions and legislation. But there are things which the Dominic Greaves of this world and the Oliver Letwins and the Yvette Coopers uh, and the Joan Cherries will be able to come together with. But one thing which is sad about that, it's, it's 
making Brexit come down to almost like the equivalent of a penalty shootout. There's going to you know be some sort of technical process. It's not mm. on the merits. It's VAR. It's Brexit on VAR. Yeah. It's a, we'll, possible. We'll go back and review it. But you, you, there are things you would be able to do to force the issue so it isn't just a 14-day wait between the two no-confidence votes mm. to displace the government. There are things you can probably you can do to try and get control of a parliamentary timetable, but they are ifs and they are ifs. And Remainers have got to be braced that they, they may not work. The, the constitution is not going to be like the cavalry to come in and save you guys from Brexit. No. The constitution there is to set out ground rules, parameters for who can make which decision and what to do with tension. Brexit in and of itself is not unconstitutional. You can do it in an unconstitutional way and you can try and stop that. But if the government has its wits about it and wants to force through a no-deal Brexit, they're in a very strong position. They have the default in their advantage, but it is rebuttable. Yeah. But it would take a huge amount of time and effort and unanimity amongst critics to do this. Just in conclusion then, there's a school of thought which says what we're living through now isn't Brexit at all. It's not about Brexit. It's about death of our old constitution and our old two-party system and the rebirth of something else. What do you think? I think it's certainly the latter. It it seems to me similar to what it must have been like between 1828-32 with the death of the old Tory party, uh, the breakup of the Tory party again during the repeal of the Corn Laws, the breakup of the Liberal Party during the Irish Home Rule. There seems to be a cleavage in British politics which is not uh, in accordance with the party system. And so the party system's got to rearrange itself. Mm. And on that note, this one's going to run and run and run and run. And we'll be back on Friday to uh, deal with whatever else has happened, by which time anything could have happened. Naomi, Alex and David Allen Green, thanks very much. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. 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 <laughs>